In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... It's one person coming in from China. It's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will gonna all be great. We're going to be so good. This is a pandemic. The Betches Sup Podcast. No, I don't take responsibility at all. Hello, and welcome to the Sup Daily CoronaCast. I'm Amanda Dubrin. I'm Caitlin Bird. And the CoronaCast is your daily rundown of all the latest news on COVID-19, how we're getting through it, and just how close we are to ending this crisis. Let's get into it going to jump into some top headlines to start. Caitlin, to me, it seems that the biggest news story of today is that Adele got skinny. Is there anything else going on? That seems to be all that's going on. Is like, that like, I'm, I'm hearing this news now. And like, that's, that's a, a really? very important. This morning I have news. had to wade through is, so you- much crap to get. Yeah. Biggest headline of the day, apparently. Yeah. Oh, I mean like every day, <laughs> Every day waking up is just kind of like, oh, spin the wheel of doom. It's kind of like, what terrible thing yeah. are we going to hear about today? Hearing about Adele getting skinny is like just weird news. I don't know if it like it is weird news. like good or bad, but it's it's just kind of like, either. Hmm. It's not even news. Okay. Okay. That happened. Yeah. At least there's yeah. just not yeah. like that. The glow news. up, the glow up air bad. quotes that never needed to happen. Yeah. Other top <laughs> headlines today. <laughs> President Trump is disbanding his coronavirus task force, reports say. This comes as the death toll passes 70,000, with productions promising to double that by August. Uh, But President Trump says it's time to move on. Uh, Mike Pence said yesterday the decision was a reflection of the tremendous progress we've made as a country and that the task force uh, would wrap up by the end of May. Reminder that yesterday, uh, we told you that uh, a new government report suggests we could reach 3,000 deaths a day beginning at the end of May. and that's apparently when the task force is disbanding. Great. Uh, this sounds like progress. Doctors and experts from the task force will still advise the yeah, administration, apparently, um, as well as advising state leaders who may want insight in how to reopen local economies. Um, task force, I feel like, is usually like a very empty term. It's just like a glorified, like, okay, there's a problem. We don't want to solve it here. Here's a group of, here's a task force. I feel like that's how it normally goes in like companies. And I feel like that's what or it's like going to be Ruby now. Mission or the czars. <laughs> Remember exactly. when like Obama had like a ton of czars and we were all like, czars, Russia, like where are we coming with this? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of very negative energy about him like appointing people to do stuff. They're all empty terms just to like say like, here's, someone's working on something. Yeah. Remember the Ebola czar? That sounded like that's the most terrifying title. I would not want to put that on my resume. <laughs> but I feel like at least so you know normally you hear yeah, okay no, task force that I want. <laughs> no. task force disbanded okay whatever but I think this is a pretty big deal because it sort of had some accountability we got to see those people on TV uh, for a period every day uh, sort of correcting things that Trump would say in real time sometimes sometimes they were not allowed to correct him but there was definitely value to that and it looks like that's going to wind down probably most likely. Um, 
Jared Kushner will be the czar, the coronavirus czar. Uh, he's apparently angling for something like that. Probably this is, he realizes he's never going to achieve Middle East peace. And he's like, this is my moment. I, I just, I feel like it needs to be said on a regular basis that there is absolutely nothing in the world that qualifies Jared Kushner to be in a presidential administration, let alone heading anything. He has, he has zero experience. He has no, he's absolutely Approximately a complete zero. failure in every other aspect of his life. There's no, there's nothing that makes him qualified to do so, this. Well, as you're saying this, clearly uh, Ivanka saw her father and her husband, and maybe that's what she was drawn to. I mean, because, like, yeah, to be fair, you kind of have to be involved in, like, vaguely criminal real estate enterprises to join that family, because (laughs) (laughs) the story of Jared Kushner's dad is its own amazing saga. He's the one that, like, tried to, yeah, right, he, like, tried to get his own brother to solicit a sex worker. It is, it's very interesting. There's a lot there. There's um, a whole other episode that could just be done talking about Jared Kushner. Oh, there's a series. We could, but, do, we could um, do a yeah, spinoff. Sammy would really love that. Um, also this week, yeah, that'd so be, that's, that'd that's... be super, super fun. So that's disappointing. That's worrisome. Um, it just sort of adds to this overall sense that people think this is we're moving on that this is over just because we're sick of it and it sucks the longer it goes on. Like, okay, it's nice out mm-hmm. and we hate this. So it's over. Um, as states are reopening, the president said, will some people be affected badly? Yes, but we have to go get our country open and we have to get it open soon. Uh, adding that he will stamp out later infections. He has not explained how he just says that he can do it. He can put the fire out. He alone can fix it. Uh, the Senate is also doing next to nothing to help. Instead, this week, Mitch McConnell is holding votes on ultra-conservative judges and trying to appoint Trump's own impeachment lawyer as an inspector general to oversee the Treasury Department's $500 billion bailout. In good news, New York got its primary back. Wow. Yes, yeah, there wasn't a primary. The primary is always exactly. happening, everybody. The, the presidential level ones where you get to choose which person is going to lose the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden that presidential primary is still on. Yeah, as um, you're saying this, I feel like that's so important because what da- what was going to dampen turnout almost more than canceling the presidential part was having everybody say that the primary was canceled because that obviously really, really hurt the down ballot people who were like, what the fuck? Now, not only were the people that might have voted in a local race, like now they're definitely not going to come out because they think it's not even an option for them. So... Um, that's back. Everybody can vote absentee, I believe, and it should be very easy. And hopefully, it will be cost you nothing. Um, I think it's, it's June twenty third, right? June twenty third. Awesome. Yeah, um, and that actually kind of kind of like segues a little bit because the uh, the there's a sense of like structure to the world where there are things that you see and you don't see about, you know, who's being affected by certain policies, by certain, by certain focuses. Um, and, like, swing back to coronavirus, like, you know, oh, you people who are down ballot, right, weren't seen. They became invisible once we canceled the presidential primary to such a degree that very well-educated, informed voters were like, oh, there's no primary at all. Yeah. Similarly, as we get into this process of reopening and all of those headlines and, and the lack of concern from the federal government, 
you're also seeing the down effects of like, you know, it's very disproportionate. Most of the people who are talking about opening up have not been directly affected by the virus. Um, they're not frontline workers. Um, many of them will still be able to work from home if they, if we do need to retreat back inside. Um, and that kind of brings us to the study. Uh, you know, Black Americans account for 13.4% of the United States population, but counties with higher Black populations account for more than half of all COVID-19 cases and almost 60% of the deaths. This study was conducted by epidemiologists and clinician researchers at four universities in conjunction with a nonprofit AIDS research organization, AMPAR, and PATH Centers for Vaccine Innovation and Access. So these are like real grown up people who like follow disease. This is not someone with a political agenda. Yeah. Um, and which makes like a big deal because like where information comes from in this current news atmosphere is nightmare. <laughs> like trying right. to figure out. And I think like, know what they're talking about. Exactly. Especially as I feel like over the course of this, you know, people here are like, oh, this is a study. And then you find out that study wasn't great. And then now I think people are suspicious of studies, which is good, but this one is extremely, extremely thorough and definitely the most thorough look we've gotten at this issue so far. It's also worth noting that it's like very late for us to discuss the racial breakdown of this. Like this just started being done in like April 15th or so. So like the first like yeah. month of the of the virus kind of spreading through the country, it didn't tally up like racial information and so who was getting impacted. Um, and that the, there were efforts, I think, all generally, but specifically from um, ethnic minorities and and Democrats to get more data, more granular data about who was being affected and um, on, a, on a racial basis, on an ethnic basis. Um, and there are some places where, like, you know, the, the number of deaths um, are extremely high percentages are going to be Black people. Um, Michigan has one of the highest death rates for um, for Black Americans. Georgia, there's information that looks like possibly up to 80%. And as you look at those two states in particular, right, like Michigan just had armed protesters storm basically the governor. <laughs> Whereas in Georgia, they're just like, sure, let's reopen. They're nowhere near containing it. There's no discussion about it. And when you, this is, you know, if you want to talk about like racial privilege and, and like structural racism in the United States, this is how that happens because it's just a complete absence from the discussion of the fact that like black people's lives are still in very high amounts of danger. Um, and they weren't, um, and they, they're not considered complete citizens. You know, there's a complete lack of alarm about the number of dead Americans and because, you know, who gets defined as American is the group of people who are generally not being directly affected by this. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click 
gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com, and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Yeah, I've been wondering when in this, not discussion, but it's like now we know 70,000 people have died and now there's mounting, mounting evidence that when we look back on this, whenever we have enough information to look back on it, it will be very clear that that communities of color were disproportionately affected. And I just wonder, like, when, I don't know, I, I'm not hearing that much alarm about this right now. Like, and I've heard words that I normally, like, not I'm skeptical of, but just that that seem like they fit here, like genocide and like human sacrifice because people are saying, let's, we just have to, we have to reopen the state. It doesn't matter. I think yesterday or the other day, Chris Christie said, we just have to allow for some death. And you hear that. And then you look at the deaths that he's willing to allow for, and there are very clear trends. And it's, it's like you thinking about how we're going to look back on this. There's nothing that convinces me. It's not going to fall. This coronavirus pandemic in the U S is not going to fall into the category of like the most shameful things this country has let happen. And all of those things have something in common, which is usually that they apply to race. And I don't know when this is going to like, I feel like we need to start thinking about what we're like in the future, what are we going to find acceptable? Like this is not acceptable. And I don't know when that conversation is going to like be centered if it ever will be. Yeah. And one of the things that was really striking to me was the kind of surprise around the neglect. Um, Because as I was, I was, you know, as coronavirus has like expanded and, and reached 
so many more people and caused so much death, I thought a lot about Hurricane Maria and just the complete lack of response at all from the federal government that left basically killed more Americans than died on 9-11. Like, Puerto Ricans are Americans, um, and they, they were basically killed by a natural disaster, not unlike COVID-19. COVID-19 is going to result, it has resulted in deaths worldwide. This is not like, oh man, it's specifically targeting right. Americans. Our response is just mm-hmm. so bad um, and so neglectful. And it's largely because of who it's affecting. And like the first people to get affected were the people who can't avoid going to work. They don't have sick hours. Um, when they felt sick, they, they couldn't stay home. Um, they can't afford to miss paychecks. They have to go out. Uh, we've deemed their work essential. So a lot of that, that work, um, and we can get even further into this, There's in, it's intersectional too, right? Women's work is overwhelmingly devalued. Nursing, hugely devalued, really important. Yeah. Non-white yeah. women are more likely than anyone Nurses else in this country to be super, essential. Super heavy lifting. Yeah. And so like when you think about cleaning services, how are we disinfecting all this stuff? Um, I know about a, a retail cleaning team and virtually the entire team had COVID-19. And I, I like, um, I'm close to some of the, the people who, who do this work and it was, it's heartbreaking to know that like you've had, someone had a significant other die from it. Um, like they're very close to oh the God. front lines of this. They're, they're, and their lives are being deeply affected and yet they can't, like no one's advocating for them. No one's saying like, wow, we really should be thinking about this focus until we get here. And then you think about the opposite side, you've got overwhelmingly white protesters coming in who feel comfortable brandishing weapons. Like, I don't know if you missed the part in the first moment was as peaceably assembled, mm-hmm. but peaceably is a very important part of that. Yeah. Implied violence with the guns doesn't feel very peaceful to me. Nor just shouting but, in hey. their faces, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it seems like, you know, by going with a gun specifically, you're letting people know that you can hurt them and kill them because guns are not, guns don't have a purpose it's outside of killing things. Right. And there's also a vibe to it, an energy to it, where it's just like, death doesn't matter. Like, just something about how viruses and guns can kill large groups of people and then just seeing that on display. I mean, they had to secure the governor. They had to make sure she was okay. And I mean, I think we talked about this Monday, but it's like, yeah, can you imagine, imagine if it hadn't been a group of screaming white people? It's just like, it's hard to imagine. People would have died that day. Oh man, black people during this virus, first of all, they've been killed at a much they higher rate by the yeah. virus itself. But then if we, if we grabbed a gun and then thought that we should, Linda Castillo had one just in his, bo- in his glove box. Like that was, he wasn't, he didn't have it in his hand or on him in any way. He literally just told an officer, I just want you to know there is a gun in this car because I have a registered license to carry it. And then he was shot in front of his child. Yeah, his girlfriend. So, like, that's how different the situation would be if, like, black people decided, like, 
I think we should fight for our rights. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw what happened during the civil rights movement when like completely well-dressed black people walked in the streets and they were like given fire hoses and dogs. Yeah. And like, well, guns? this week was yeah the 50th anniversary of Kent state, which finally is being reframed for what it actually was. And it was mm-hmm. not a riot. Yeah. State sanctioned murder basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you have these people out there and it's all like, like minorities are also more likely to be the front line, front line and essential workers who are at jobs that are essential right now who work in, and at places that provide the things that we need. And it's like, you look at Gretchen Whitmer always says, the, the more you guys keep doing this and running out and protesting, the longer I have to keep this order in place and the more people are going to get sick. So these people are, are willfully spreading the virus in their own communities. And that, that doesn't, that puts some people at much more risk than others. And it's just like, it's just all one very up, upsetting cycle. Like, like there's, there's a connection between everything and, I just wish that people would like start to talk about it more and see it more. And at the very least, we need to be tracking this stuff so that when we do look back on it, we're aware of what happened and who we let die. Um, That's what alarms me a lot right now. Obviously, the mass scale of death, but the failure to keep a careful accounting of it so that we're accountable to it later. Yeah. And and, uh, again, that brings me right back to Maria, where like the death toll we were just outright lies about that death toll. The immediate death toll oh, from yeah. the hurricane, the, the death toll from neglect. I thought about um, the corruption involved, the same way that the federal government is stealing resources that are supposed to go to um, nurses, to firefighters. You've got these frontline workers, these emergency workers, who are supposed to be getting masks and PPE, and they are getting instead... You know, the federal government is hijacking them and taking it for themselves, which, like, on a state-federal level is, like, insane. Like, it's completely absurd. But from just a real human level, that means that people are having to get by with even less material to protect themselves. And the virus is not gone. We have fewer people dying because we are all staying inside. Yeah. As many people as possible are staying inside the people who are still dying are the people who can't afford to stay inside who, you know, have to go to the fulfillment center who have to do the warehousing, who have to deliver packages, who have to, you know, deliver Postmates, whatever stuff that we are, that there's still a whole infrastructure that's necessary for us to stay inside. And the people who make up that infrastructure are not only getting recognition from lip service, but they're also, we're not even talking about like hazard pay, um, extra, extra value given to them for the amount of work that they're doing because they're basically carrying the society. Also emphasizes like whose labor is really important in this entire discussion. Like who, who is important? You know, whose work is making the world go around. And right now, as much as I love my own brain, I intellectual work is not the thing doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And something that's really sort of devastating about that is that obviously a lot of people like grocery store workers, for instance, deserve hazard pay. But, you know, employers have an incentive to pay people more if they are enticed by other opportunities, if they might have a better option, you pay them more. 
there are no jobs right now. Nobody, there's, that's not really available. So employers aren't incentivized to give their people hazard pay because they're not likely to leave if they don't. And these jobs, obviously, a lot of them do not provide health care. And Trump had an opportunity in March to let people enroll in Obamacare, and he chose not to, which I think is also, we're going to remember, is like one of the cruelest moments of all of this. When we talk about, like, doesn't Trump care about legacy? And he's, in fact, one of like the first presidents to not care about legacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of issues that I had with, like, Reagan and Bush. I mean, all of them, frankly, a president is going to make some really bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both cared a lot about whether how they were going to be remembered. It mattered a lot uh, to do something, to act in ways that were going to burnish their his- place in the historical record. Whereas Trump sees himself as the beginning and the end. There's The only thing that came before him was calamity and disaster. And the only thing that happens, there's nothing that comes after him. There's mm-hmm. simply Trump. And he lives in that space permanently. And memories about who survives, right? And so when we talk about, you know, how we remember past, past issues, how we remember past calamities, uh, tragedies, violence, it really has a lot to do with who survived and who's allowed to to, who's allowed to carry memory forward. Um, and black people have not been allowed to do that very often in this country. We've carried among ourselves, but it is, we, we don't have a spot in the collective memory of the country um, outside of, you know, when we briefly get opportunities to um, kind of be saved by white people from that white saviorism perspective. And so I, I worry too about the future of this pandemic and what it's going to look like because who's going to carry the memory forward? Yeah, it's also, I think, as you're saying this, like not only does the collective memory not have a space or is it not allowed a space in the sort of American collective memory, it's that some people find the facts of in the, within those memories like actively antagonistic. I'm just thinking of this week when the Times... Um, won a Pulitzer for the 1619 Project. And again, uh, this happened when it came out, but you had just people cannot handle the fact that their sort of national identity based on things that happened when their grandparents probably weren't even here, that they are so, feel so attacked when additional facts are introduced to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, like that's that's ultimately like where huge chunks of the disparities come in and where like that that sense that like documenting the voices of the people who had previously gone unheard is a threat to national identity. Like what is your national identity built on? Like what is this government built on if we can't accurately assess like maybe we shouldn't be reopening right now because there are still millions of people who are going to be vulnerable to this virus. It hasn't gone away. And the group of people who are talking about and covering the news and, and all this stuff, many of, many of us, and I include myself in that, are relatively safe and isolated from it. But I'm in many ways just one or two steps closer than I, I 
if I, than if I were white. And that means that, like, in some ways, I'm seeing these details. And that scares me because that awareness shouldn't be based off of my race. You know, mm -hmm. we're all Americans. Like, we should all be able to see this together. And yet, the, the lack of clarity around the reality of this virus and the fact that it's still very lethal. Um, and that the only reason that it hasn't been worse is because we have taken extreme measures to keep people safe from it. Right, right. And it's also like, it's not a, it's not a coincidence, obviously, that, that Black people are being disproportionately affected. It's because we're a failed state and we did not, <laughs> because we allowed all of these. I think Jerome Powell had, when, when, when the first studies were coming out showing that there were serious disparities, he went on TV and he was like, to be clear, Black people are not implicitly more, like biologically more vulnerable. It's because, it's because this country has been terrible and the systemic and structural racism is out of control. It was actually really interesting. I, when this started up, I did like a bit of a, po a poke at the 1918 pandemic. Just because like, yeah, giant pandemics sweeping through the country, destroying everything. Um, and the, the 1918 pandemic was like scale on the scale of like unbelievable, like the number of deaths compared comparatively, like the morbidity rate, you're talking about like one in every 10 people possibly just dying in some places. Philadelphia lost like 50,000 by itself. Yeah. Like the, our entire death toll was like cities. Um, but one of the things that was interesting is I started looking back and talking about, oh, you know, at the time, of course, it was even worse for black people. <laughs> and what's interesting is that uh, black people had like a lower rate um, of infection, but a high rate of death, in large part because of that, um, the loss on, uh, of medical resources and, and physical resources not being able to stagger shifts as often because they were doing like manual labor that had to be done on a regular basis. Um, so not being able to retreat in many ways was the thing that created like a higher death rate, even though there was a lower infection rate. Mm. And there's so much about that, including, um, you know, including uh, medical racism, another aspect of, of structural racism, which is this idea that black people are stronger and tougher. We, we deal with pain better. Is actually a reason why there's lower than expected numbers of black people inside the opioid crisis. Like you can start mm -hmm. looking and you're like, wow, it's like you pull a thread and all of a sudden the whole sweater comes out. You're like, wow, at every level in every way, things are problematic on the basis of race. And um, as I think about that, like it, it means to some degree we have to reckon with that if we're going to fix this problem because they're willing to reopen the nation. And I want to be clear about this. I believe Donald Trump absolutely has, does not care about the lives of non-white Americans. I think that he does not care at all. I think that he thinks that this is perfectly fine. I think that he thinks our deaths are natural and necessary sacrifices to get the nation back up. And as far as he's concerned, the nation is white people. I feel like I've got a lot of evidence that suggests that he only cares about white people. I feel like you do and too. Even there. <laughs> I I just feel like I'm I'm gonna go out there on that limb and say it. I, I think, think that's Donald fair. <laughs> just just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. That should be the title of this episode. Is Donald Trump racist? 
just a little bit. I know. Like, remember how the, <laughs> like, if Kanye West, well, yeah, I guess this bit. is different because it's Kanye. If he were to come out today and say something like Donald Trump doesn't care about black people. Remember when he said that about Bush and it was like, oh my God. If he said that about Trump, he'd be like, yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. Fact. Well, yeah, Kanye's in the... You might not say that. Kanye's in the but, second place yeah. these days, but... I'm allowed to right. that. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm allowed to affirm. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I mean, basically, we're, we are not having that dialogue um, because it's not a fun dialogue to have. Right? Like, yeah. you talk about defensiveness. Like, the first thing that people do is be like, I'm not a bad person. I, I'm like black people i have a black friend and we're like this is not about that (laughs) this is about like bigger structural problems and the fact that our lives are being considered worthless like we're literally talking about people being like yeah i guess some like another few thousand people can die i'm like no no my other life is is retail i have no interest in like my my sister works retail I am not excited about her having to go back out into the world because her bosses want more money. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and she ha- she'll have to choose between her safety and, you know, her, her job. And that's ridiculous. She should be able to stay home and be safe because no one needs a pair of sneakers that bad. Yes, absolutely. On that note, thank you so much, Caitlin. Until the end of COVID-19, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this has been the Betches Sup Daily Coronacast. The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. 